Greetings, friends and new listeners, and welcome to this program of the Archie Hardy Ministries. I'm Sharon Knotts thanking you for tuning in today because we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The message today by my father, Brother Hardy, is one that is near and dear to my heart. It's entitled, Gethsemane, the Olive Press. It was there our Savior agonized in prayer, his body racked with intense sufferings as he wrestled with his own self-will to drink the cup of sufferings and crucifixion on the cursed cross. He would have died in that garden had the Father not sent angels to strengthen him. And winning the battle over self is the hardest one you and I will ever face. And if you are a true child of God, then you are no stranger to Gethsemane, the olive press. I mean, he really got strengthened. I mean, he prayed all the way through that prayer, and then he prayed the whole 17th chapter of John for you and me. And when he got done, he went back to him and said, Don't worry about getting up. Come on. And the guy portrays me. He's right at the gate. He had just enough time. The devil was trying to pray and on the time that there wouldn't be enough time, even if you prayed and got the will of God done in your heart, that you would have time to pray for the lost. And that's what the devil's betting on now, that he has got most of the church ain't never going to go to Gethsemane. No, they ain't at Gethsemane. They're confessing their jet planes to do nothing. They're confessing their Rolls Royces, mink coats, and diamond rings to do nothing. Honey, I believe it would be a sin for me to have diamonds all over my fingers when souls are going to hell. Somebody say, you say it's a sin to wear jewelry? Yes, when I can take that money and win souls. You better believe it. You ain't going to catch me with any jewels all over my fingers. I'm going to sell it and turn it into the gospel. If that's all you can see, my diamonds and all that mess, if you only know me as the guy that's got the Rolls Royce, I don't care how you justify it any way you can. I No, sir, not when souls, not when I know what that will do on the radio, not when I know what it will do through the printed page. No, you ain't telling me. No, sir, honey. Devil, if I was you, I'd fight me too. I got to give you E for effort there. But you ain't no use you fighting because Jesus is my victory. I got it right on my head. I got the helmet of salvation right on my head. I got the knowledge that Jesus is my victory and can nothing separate me as long as I go to Gethsemane and get in the press and say, not my will, but thy will be continually done. I can't pray with Jesus that it always has been, but I can pray with him from now on it always will be. See, all your years when you're saved, God wants to use you. And you know what he's trying to do? Get you to the place that you will say, from now on, Lord, your will will always be done in my life. Not all, every one of us, and I don't believe anyone but Jesus can say that it's always been done. Check the tense of the imperative command in that verse. Father, as always, as your will will be done, let it continue to be done. I've done my will a lot of times in 30 years since I've been saved and regretted every bitter moment of it, every lost opportunity. And this is the last one. We're in the Gethsemane. Judas and the mob's on the way. And the devil is playing for time that if we finally pray thy will and drink the cup, that we ain't got no time to pray the 17th chapter of John for all of the brethren. You see, he had to pray to keep them. He told the Father in the 17th chapter of John, said, everyone you've given me, God, I've kept. I was in the world and I kept them by your authority, your name, the authority that you gave me to write. He said, but Father, I'm no longer in the world and they're in the world. And I don't say take them out of the world because I need them here to be the witness and carry on the work. 
But he said, I pray you keep them from the evil one of the world. I know it says evil, but in the Greek it could be the evil one. Like in the Lord's Prayer, but keep us from the evil one. A neuter, it would be evil one. And he said, I don't pray for these only of this generation. I don't only pray for these immediate disciples, but for everyone that will believe on me through their word, through Peter's writing, through John's gospel. You had to get saved through one of those disciples' writings. It's reputed that Mark's gospel is Peter's anyway. Peter quoted it to him. He was his stenographer. Jesus prayed for everyone that will accept him right in that garden. And the devil was playing two cards against him, hoping with an outside chance he wouldn't drink the cup at all. And if he was going to drink the cup, to waste the time that he couldn't pray for you and I. You know why I'm kept right now? Even when I get rebellious and snotty like a brat, because Jesus prayed in the garden for me, in that olive press. He prayed more intensely then. After getting the victory for himself, he prayed more intensely for you and I. When God strengthened him, he jumped in that battle and prayed more intensely. I wish I had time and run the word agony. You'll read the 29th verse of Colossians, the first chapter, and the first verse of Colossians, the second chapter, and Paul uses both of the words for the battle he had for the Colossian Christian. Then you read the end of the book when he commends Epaphras, taking the letter back to the Colossians and told him that he has agonized for you many times in prayer. He's fought for you in prayer. How many wants an orange cow guarantee that you'll be able to overcome the devil and all of his sum total forces? Amen. The book of Ephesians is the greater light book. It's for advanced Christians. If you're not real spiritual, you'll get in trouble. And almost all of this last day false doctrines coming out of that book because unspiritual people are trying to interpret it. And in one chapter after another, Paul is bringing revelations that was never known to man up until that time. In fact, in the third chapter, the third verse says that I'm speaking revelations that was hid in times past from the sons of men, but it's now made known by God to the church by his holy apostles and prophets. Mysteries that were hid. And one chapter after another is a great revelation. Then he goes in the fourth chapter giving the mystery that's going to be one body made of Jew and Gentile. And that that one body would be filled with all the fullness of God. That just drives you up out of the mind. And that through that filled full body of all of the attributes of deity, God would teach the angels that are up there that great cloud of witness. Then finally he's going to close the letter. And usually, and it's very true in Greek grammar, when you want to emphasize something, you put the two most important things, one first and one last. That's why Greek grammar is hard to read. It's not like English, subject, verb, object, indirect objects, and the helpers in there. But the Greeks do not have that word order. They'll take the most important thing and put it first, take the second most important thing and put it last, and throw all the other grammar in the middle. So this last thing, if it isn't the most important, it's the second important. And I believe it's the most, the sixth chapter and the tenth verse of Ephesians. 
And it reads this way, finally, my brethren. And it's a command. Be strong in the Lord. If you're going to be strong, your strength is going to have to be in the Lord and nothing else. Not the arm of flesh, cursed be the man, the trust of in man, not your own will, for him that know to do good and do it not, it's sin. In the Lord, and then he's specifying it. And in the power of his might or in his mighty power. Reason to be strong in the Lord, it's mighty power. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we are wrestling. Negative what we're not wrestling. Positive what we are, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual powers of wickedness in the heavenlies, literal. He is saying we are wrestling the angelic fallen angels that rule the evil of this age, the super mundane rulers of the evil of this age. Spiritual powers in the heavenlies. said highest. And the King James said in high places, but the Greek word is heavenlies. And the only way that you are going to wrestle and not be pressed down and smothered to death by the enemy, because the object of a wrestling match is to press your enemy to the ground. Acts 10.38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who went about doing good healing all that were pressed down by the enemy. Press you down. You mess with the devil, and he'll put more than you're able and press you down. And when you fall on your face, then smother you to death. How are you going to win this wrestling match? By confessing him away? You're going to wrestle. You're in a violent struggle. You're in a wrestling match. And no man can spoil the strong man's house until he defeats him. And the only way you're going to defeat him is in the power of the Lord. You told you when disputing with Satan over the body of Moses, how did he resist him? He said, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Even the angelic beings that are more powerful than us and on an equal standing with the other angels fallen have to use the power of God. Some of you bear with me, just get in the press and say, not my will, I'll stay till the service is over. Might get saved and get the victory. Might not have to pray so hard a second time. Might not have to pray for yourself. You can earnestly now intensely pray for souls. You know what? If I'm going to pray for healing, I'd rather pray for somebody's other healing than mine. If I'm going to pray for salvation, I'd rather pray for somebody else's than mine. For victory, I'd rather pray for somebody else's victory than mine. I want to get the victory and pray for them. I'd rather be praying for their victory. I'd rather be praying for their soul. I'd rather be praying for their healing. I ain't preaching for myself tonight. I'm preaching for others, and I'd rather do it. And I don't want to spend much time praying for me. All I want to say is, not my will, but thine be done. If I get in God's will, then no good thing will be withhold for them that walk uprightly. He'll take care of me. And I can spend all my other time praying intensely. Father... For everyone that will hear the word, keep them. We've got to have the power of God. The reason why is we are fighting a supernatural foe. So then again, it comes back to why you should have the power. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Now, the power of God consists of his armor. 
Now, only be a few minutes, but this is the most important message to you. And if you learn this and do it, don't make any difference who comes to lay hands or who don't come. You'll know how to whip the principalities and powers. You'll know how to wrestle and make them say Jesus. You know, when you were a kid, when you wrestled, you made them say uncle. That's right. You wouldn't let them up unless you said uncle. Well, I'm going to make him say Jesus, and I ain't going to let him up after that. Now, the weapons that make up the whole armor of God are seven, and five are for defense, and there's only two offensive weapons. A lot of guys in a boxing ring, I mean, they can knock you out if they can hit you, but because they got a bay of defense, you knock them out. It's the guy that can knock you out and the guy that can keep from getting hit that wins. So you not only got to have a knockout punch, you got to have a defense. And there's five weapons of the whole armor of God that makes up the power of God. And five is the number for grace. And you know what God says about grace? My grace is sufficient for you. If you put those five on, nothing can defeat you, can overcome you, but you won't be waging an offensive fight. You'll only be standing. Honey, I don't only want to stand. I want to wage an offensive fight. I want to back him up. I don't want him to be camped around me, just giving me pressure there, trying to break me down, and I got grace to stand. I want to back him up and take some souls. I want to... You want to get out of the pressure? Enlarge your Gethsemane. Spread out the perimeter. Spread out the enemy. The smaller the circle, the more enemy. Spread him out. Spread him on out, honey. Come on. I began to spread him on out. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Spread him out. If you've got him encamped around your house, no wonder you got a hard time. Spread him out. In order to stand against the enemy, we have to have the whole armor of God because we have a supernatural enemy. And no physical weapon will defeat him. And because we have a supernatural enemy, God has given us a supernatural armor and power. Wherefore, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, the wherefore goes back, but against principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, on account of this, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all having done everything to stand stand there for you got to do something to stand second chapter in the front part of Philippians work out your own salvation with fear and trembling in the King James you don't see it but the word work out is the same word here in the sixth chapter, having done all to stand. You work a plan out when you go against the enemy. You have a game plan. Nobody fights a war without a plan. And you're supposed to plan your strategy to win. In fact, the word strategy and stratagem comes from the Greek word soldier and general. He's a strategist. And the stratagem is his plan of attack. And having worked out everything to stand, and have done everything to stand, stand therefore. And he tells you what you should have worked out, what your plan should have been. And your plan should have been is putting on every piece of the armor. Have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, if you've got trouble believing for healing, Power over demons and power over finance. Go and stick your nose in the Gospels and read it and read it until you believe it. 
You having trouble with healing? Because anytime you want to fight the enemy, you see, you're going to have to have strength. Because Jesus was healed, and look what he almost did. He almost died, and he had to be strengthened with an angel, and you ain't going to war with no disease. If you ain't been prepared for this battle by the gospel, then stick your nose in it. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and especially read Mark over and over and over again. It's a miracle, 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 miracle. Read it until you believe it. You know how 25, 30 years ago he poured out the last day healing revival? He got men and made them read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Mark, and Mark, and Mark, until the healing and miracles came alive. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. You ain't going to go out and heal nobody until you've been prepared by the gospel. Good news, and you got the good news, and you can take it and not only tell them about it, you can show it. What is going to be your strength? Having your loins girded about with the truth. A girdle is what? Strength. Not only that, in this Roman weapons, the girdle was the thing that held all the other weapons on. And truth should be our strength and the thing that holds all the other weapons on. You wrap that girdle, that Roman girdle, and there hung down the battle axe, the spear, the sword. All was connected to that girdle that was since tight to be a strength to them and to hold all the other weapons in the place. The truth, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. It's the truth that is our strength. Because no matter what lie comes when you know the truth, it don't move you one little bit. And the most vulnerable part is covered by the breastplate, the heart, the vital organs having on the breastplate of righteousness you see righteousness is what protects the heart and the vital organs and the organs of life you can sustain an injury in your arm and leg or such but you can if you ain't got the breastplate of righteousness on it'll kill you honey then it said take the helmet of salvation the greek says receive it it's given to you thanks be unto god that gives us the victory salvation is given it to you you've got the knowledge that you've already won in Jesus. Nothing can pluck you out of the hand. What so separates you from the love of God? So what? The sword, you're not going to go out there in the battle, you see. And that sword of the enemy's hand can separate you. You've got the knowledge that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Got my defensive weapons on. Now I'm starting with my offensive weapon. Whew. Sword of the Spirit. I am protected I do not have Achilles heel. My feet are shod. But we ought to know what Achilles heel is. You know what an Achilles heel is? Your vulnerable, uncovered spot. But I got my feet shod. Nothing's uncovered. Everything's protected behind the whole armor of God. Now that I am protected and no matter what, with my shield of faith, I quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked, all of them. Nothing can come out. I don't care how hot they are, how burning, they can't get through. Can't hurt me in the head. Can't hurt me in the heart. Can't hurt me in the midsection. Can't hurt me in the feet. And every one of those vital shots at my heart, the shield of faith is the one that quenches it. It just hits my shield and extinguishes and falls to the ground. Now I'm ready. No matter what the enemy threw at me, like he said that Jesus is written, Jesus took the shield and knocked it out of the way. Then, it's time for the offensive fight. But as long as you got fear, you don't have the whole armor on. You have not been prepared with the gospel that gives you what? Have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of what? Peace.
How many say amen? That means that's defeated your enemy and you don't have fear. You cannot have peace and fear at the same time. Now, I'm taken care of. Now, in the Isle of Press, Jesus has took the cup. And now he's ready to enter into the agony in more of an intensified, violent way. He pulls out the sword and he begins to go on the offense. Do you know what the word for the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, means? Do you know what the phrase Word of God in the Greek is? And the sword of the Spirit, which is the rima to Theo, Word of God. And here the rima means the spoken word. We get our English from it, rhetoric. You understand what rhetoric is? Spoken word, a dialogue. Now I'm going to say a spoken word. Mary had a little lamb whose fleece was white as snow. I just said a spoken word. You see, R-H-E-M-A, and in the Greek, it's a neuter meaning a thing. And a spoken word is a thing. Now I can speak all kind of things. X, Y, Z, that was a spoken word. And the thing that I said was X, Y, Z. Now I am supposed to speak a spoken word, but it ain't supposed to be X, Y, Z. And it ain't supposed to be marezy dotes and dotesy dotes and little lambsy divey. That was a spoken thing. I spoke a thing. But that spoken thing don't mean a thing. It won't, no demons going to run. No miracles are going to happen. No devils are going to fall down dead. I spoke a spoken thing. But that thing didn't mean nothing. It didn't even get a rise out of you. Now the thing that you're supposed to speak is the what? The word of God, you see. Not just speak anything, but the sword of the Spirit is what? The spoken word of God. So Rima by itself don't mean nothing. All Rima means is a spoken thing. And people are saying, I want to ream a word. Meaning they want a word of revelation. Well, that's not the Greek word for revelation. Lagos is. Because the Lagos word is the revelation word. And if I give you a revelation by a word, I will ream a Lagos. I will speak a revelation word. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of what? God is the predominant thing in this phrase. It's the spoken word of God. And in the garden when Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus said, and it is written. And he didn't speak a word. Mary had a little lamb or some Jewish fable. He spoke the word and that backed the devil up. When the devil comes, I know that I am fully protected with my defensive armor and not one of his darts can penetrate the shield of faith. And you know whose faith shield is? Our God's a son and our God's a shield. How many say it? man. Jesus is the living shield of faith and nothing can penetrate him. How many say man? And when I quench him, I go on the offense. When he says do this, I knock it out of the way and say it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. I speak the word of God, not philosophy, not fairy tales. I'm not just speaking a thing. I'm speaking the word. It just means a thing. A spoken thing, and that's why the Holy Ghost said the sword of the Spirit is the thing that you speak is the Word of God. You got one more offensive weapon, and the devil has worked it out to disannul both of these offensive weapons by giving a substitute. 
for the spoken word of God, he has substituted the lying lies and dreams and visions of the devil. Seventh weapon and the second offensive is praying with all prayer and supplication and watching thereunto for all saints. And he's changed the prayer and supplication and you can't get confession out of that at all to confession and watching thereunto. And here comes that little word Gregory again. And you're supposed to do what? You're supposed to watch and pray for all saints. Now, if you got the power to confess their needs, then you've got to get down and start naming a saint and start confessing it. You're commanded in that verse to do it. If that's it, how many say amen? Then after you got your jet plane and your Rolls Royce and your mink coat and your fabled sable and your diamond rings, then start confessing the healing and deliverance and the salvation of your weaker brothers and sisters because that's what you're commanded to do, the last thing of all the great revelations, and that's what you do to war against the principalities and powers. Jesus, that's what he did. He watched in prayer. He tried to get the disciples to watch with him. They couldn't watch with him. They were grieved and they went to sleep. You're commanded to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the tricks and the wiles and the cunning traps of the devil. And your defense is if you put on those five weapons, you don't have to pray for yourself. No, you pray for the saints and watch for them in prayer because you're protected by the armor. And if you walk uprightly, no good thing. And Philippians 4:19, but my God shall supply all your needs. I don't have to confess it. I don't have to do nothing. All I got to do is start praying for the saints and watching and travailing. How about a salmon and using the sword of the spirit on the enemy? Honey, you ain't even in the ball game till you start praying for the saints and live the watch there too. Thank God I've got to the place that I hardly spend time for me in prayer. I spend a lot of time in prayer, but not for me. I'm praying with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, and I'm watching there too for all the saints. And you'd be surprised how God will give you a dream or how you're watching in prayer, meditating in prayer, and God will bring somebody to you and you'll pray under a travail. And maybe you come to church tonight, and that person will say, Oh, man, did I have a time today? And you know, you'll tell me about this time. Yeah, hey, how do you know? Because you were watching. And you that were strong were bare the infirmities of the weak and not pleasing yourself. I grant you, you got to pray to drink the cup, but it's time we prayed. And if you haven't drunk the cup, you got to pray. You see, Jesus had to keep getting down and praying. How many say amen? When he couldn't find nobody to help him, he had to get down and pray. How many say amen? He just had to get down and pray. You ain't got the victory over yourself yet? Get down and pray. Stay right in the outer press. Stay in the oil press. Sometimes the power gets so good and we begin to sweat and I tell them it's grease night. Because they come through the line and the grease runs out of them. Well, honey, that's the good grease night. But you need to get in that outer press and that oil press and let that oil run out of you. Let that self run out of you. How many, we want a revival till we see our boys saved, till we see our moms saved, till we see the city show, until we wrestle against these demons. It's got our boys and girls in all of this spiritism. How many say amen? All of this TM and, and yogi and God. And adultery and sex. We need a prayer.
Amen. What a touching and inspiring message by God's servant, Brother Hardy, Gethsemane, the Olive Press. I trust that you are seeing Jesus in a new way as you've come to understand the great and intense sufferings he endured there, crushed like the olives were crushed under tremendous pressure until his sweat profusely fell to the ground, tinged with his own blood because of the extreme agony his body and soul were undergoing. He had said, my soul was exceedingly sorrowful even unto death, and this was before the cross. If you are a true believer, then you too have been to Gethsemane, and you know what Paul described as being pressed in spirit and even pressed above measure. But you know people today are looking for an easy gospel, no sweat, no pressure. But Jesus said, the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone presses his way into it. And he said, if we suffer with him, we will also reign with him. If you are blessed by this message, Gethsemane, the Olive Press, it can be ordered on CD for a love gift to the radio ministry of $10 or more. Request offer 209. Mail to Archie Hardy Ministries, P.O. Box 1744, Baltimore, Maryland, 21203. Or go online to archiehardy.org. Now, if the Lord directs you, please consider sending an additional love gift to keep this program on the air. But if you send a minimum love gift of $10, you can receive offer 209 Gethsemane, the Olive Press, and mail to P.O. Box 1744, Baltimore, Maryland, 21203, or visit us online at archiehardy.org. There you will find many other wonderful resources by Brother Hardy and myself to boost you spiritually. Until next time, this is Sharon Knott saying, Maranatha.